everyone. My name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Uh, We're going to continue on the series we began last episode called Wired, Preparing for Power to Flow. In Galatians 5, 13 to 26, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the flesh, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Sorry, walk by the spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, this series that we are focusing on is dealing with this conflict between flesh and spirit. And it says this, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, which we learned last week also includes mind-altering drugs. Uh, Again, the original word here is pharmakia that we translate to witchcraft, but pharmakia is also where we get the word pharmacy. Uh, It it says hostilities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Uh, In the last episode, we started a six-part series called Wired, Preparing for the Power to Flow. We started the first half of the series by introducing the concepts of insulators, the things that totally stop God's power from flowing in our lives, and resistors, the things that won't stop but will hinder that power from flowing freely. Now, the question you may have had before that we didn't really answer last week is, what do I mean by God's power? And I mean that in many different ways. One of the main ones is that this particular year, we're focusing a lot of attention on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, on the filling of power, um, and the filling of power as we read about in the book of Acts. But that isn't it. I mean, a measure of God's power can be present in your life even before that event. Right? It's the power of God that saves us. It's the power of God that sets us free. It's the power of God that changes us from the person we once were into the person we were made to be. You can experience all of that without ever experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that said, I want you to chase after everything that God has for you, not just settle for good enough. I want you to be prepared for it when it happens. And so I want you to be asking God for his best 
right? Not just the things that you want, not asking God for specific things, although we should do that too. But but take time also to just say, God, I want your best because what you think is the best may not be anywhere close to what God thinks is the best. He may have a lot more in store for you than you realize. And so be asking for God's best, be asking for his spirit to fill you. So because of that, it's important that you are free of the things that will keep that from happening in your life. Now, in each half of this series, we're going to focus on three areas of our lives, upward, inward, and outward. Upward meaning our relationship with God, inward meaning our internal thoughts and attitudes, and outward meaning our relationship with others. In each of these areas, there are things that can totally stop the power of God from flowing in your life. And the reason I wanted to break it into three categories is because I believe that we can often um, limit this understanding a bit uh, to believe that the things that stop us um, from connecting with God, the things that stop God from moving our life are really isolated to sin. But it's more than that. And I want you to understand that there are many areas in your life that can hinder your relationship with God. And we all understand that, that sin does that, but it's possible that you might not have even thought about some of these others. And it's why it's so important, because God wants to be involved in every area of your life and every area of your life has significance. And so with that said, uh, we're going to start with insulators. And last episode, we talked about upward. Uh, and so in this episode, we're going to talk about inward. These are the things within our internal thoughts and attitudes that affect our relationship with God and affect God's ability to move in our lives. And the first one we're going to look at is an insulator. This is something that completely stops the power of God from flowing in your life. And that is pride. Pride is something that is very much on display in our culture. And I do know that we, we uh, uh, might have people periodically listen to this in other from other countries, uh, if that's the case. I don't know if it's the same where you're at. But in, in America, I'll say this. Pride is something that is so big in our culture. I mean, we have we have a month named after it. We have parades that celebrate it. We have racist hate groups named after it. Our, our culture celebrates pride without any sense of hesitation about it. But here's the thing. Pride is actually the thing that began this whole problem on earth called sin. Pride was the very first sin committed. And it happened when Lucifer thought to make himself like God. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14 says, How you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to earth, you who defeated the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. When Lucifer had enough pride, was full of pride, full of himself to the point that he believed he would be like God. He was removed from heaven. He was kicked out of heaven. That was, that was the first sin. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 14, it's interesting that that same passage, uh, that same chapter, we, we read that Lucifer was, was in the garden. Well, when did that happen? Well, it's it happened when uh, he didn't look like this. He didn't look like an angel. Uh, in fact, the Bible describes him as a serpent. 
But then we see Adam and Eve, right? And Adam and Eve sin. It's what caused all of this this chaos on earth, right? It was the it was the sin that that caused death and and sickness and and pain and all of these these things that 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 hurt that caused suffering in the world all began with sin. Did you know what the first sin was of Adam and Eve? It was pride. I know you might think, well, no, it wasn't pride. It was eating the fruit. Well, let me ask you, why did they eat the fruit? It's because the serpent told them that they would become like God. The serpent, the devil, who was in the garden, told them the same lie that he had believed about himself. He told them that they would become like God. That's that's the lie. That that's the lie. It's it's pride. And it was this belief that they could become like God. It was this pride that actually caused them to be cut off from the garden. It was this pride that began all of the slippery slope that happened with sin afterward. It separated them from God. They could no longer walk with God in the way that they had before. Their relationship with God was tainted forever. Pride stops the power of God completely in our lives because it makes us believe we either do not need him or that we are above him. Or at the very least, we are equal to him. This is what Lucifer believed. It is the belief of Adam and Eve as they took this fruit that they would be like God. They would no longer need him or that they would be equal to him or even above him. See, some people, as some examples here, some people believe they know everything, right? How do you know they believe that? Well, they'll say confidently, there is no God. You have to know everything to know that for certain. You would have to know every recess, every little place, every little thing in the universe. You would have to know where it, you'd have to know totally everything about the universe in order to confidently state that there is no God. That's a very prideful thing to say. That's that's different than saying I don't I don't believe in God. I don't I don't know about God. I there's there's something about that, but to confidently state there is no God in essence, is making the claim that you know everything because you would have to know everything to know that for certain. Some believe that they can just do everything on their own, right? They have no need for God. They view God like a crutch that only weak people need. And of course, they don't need God because they're not weak like everybody else. What is that? That's pride. Some people believe they're just a, I'm already a good person. I don't need God's help to get to heaven. I can do it on my own because I'm good enough. It's pride. Some people believe they know better than God how to define what sin is. God clearly states that something is sin, but they believe they know better. And so they define it away. Well, no, this this feels really good, makes me feel good, so it must not be bad. God is wrong to call this sin. I know better than he does. This isn't really sin, even though God clearly states that it is. It's pride. So each of these are examples of what pride can look like. And make no mistake, pride can cut you off completely from God. It is very dangerous, and where it will lead you is easy to predict. 
There is a uh, very well-known saying that a lot of people don't know comes from the Bible, but it's found in Proverbs 16, 18. Here's what it says. Pride goes before destruction. If you've ever heard the phrase, pride goes before a fall, this is where it comes from. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride is very dangerous, but where it leads is very predictable. But pride is not the only attitude that we can have inwardly. This is not the only inward thing that is an insulator that can stop the power of God. There's one more, and it's called apathy. And that's uh, that's kind of a fancy word that basically means you don't care anymore. If you wanted another word, I, I would say that another word could be surrender. I want to read a passage from Revelation and and this is one that um, is is slightly misinterpreted most often I've ever heard it taught. Um, matter of fact, I think almost every time I've heard it taught, I feel like it's been slightly misinterpreted. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But it's found in Revelations 3, or Revelation 3, uh, 14 to 16. It says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, what do I mean by this passage being slightly misinterpreted? Well, here's what I mean. First of all, I say slightly because the the main point of it, I think we we still understand, right? That you don't want to be lukewarm. Um, There's this lukewarm. we, We understand that. That's pretty clear. But often this well-known passage is interpreted as saying that God just wishes that people were either very cold, in other words, they're completely walking in the flesh, or they're hot, completely on fire for God. We look at it and saying, well, this passage is saying that God wishes we were either completely for him or completely against him. And that's incorrect. That's, that's incorrect. And I wonder how many times people have heard that and have thought, well, I, I'm, I'm not at a place where I can just be completely on fire for God. And so I suppose he would rather me just completely walk away from him and thought that they were doing the will of God. And let me tell you, that is not what this passage means. So don't for a moment think that God would rather have you completely against him than partially for him. Okay, that's not what this says. That is not, that's not at all what this passage means. This passage is actually a historical and a geographical reference. The people in Laodicea understood this very, very well, what was being said here. Here's what I mean by this. When he talks about wishing you were hot or cold, he's not comparing two extremes of good and bad, right? He's not saying, I wish that you were really good or really bad. In fact, hot and cold in this context are both good. They're both good. Here's what, here's what I mean by that. There, there were three cities that were fairly close together. Um, Laodicea was one of the three. It was kind of in the center of these three. To the north of Laodicea was a city called Heropolis. And to the south of Laodicea was um, Colossae. And you guys probably are more familiar with that one than the others because the book of Colossians was actually written to the church in this city. Well, Heropolis in the north was known for 
it's hot springs, right? It had these hot springs. People would travel there um, to soak in the hot water, you know, soak in the minerals. They, it was it was known for good health. You would go there to recover. You would go there to to soak in the hot springs and you know ease your aching joints. And you would go there for health reasons. And so the hot here was was something that was very very good. It was a very good thing. It was known for health. And to the south of Laodicea was Colossae, and Colossae was actually known for something as well. It it was known for cold springs. In other words, it was springs of fresh water that would come up and it provided fresh, clean drinking water. And a lot of places actually around that, as far as I understand, there were places around Colossae that actually got their water from Colossae because the water was cold and fresh and clean. So when God says you're neither hot or cold, he's talking about water. I'll explain why here in just a second. But we need to understand that hot and cold are both good. God is not saying, I wish you were really bad or really good. He's saying, I wish you were really good in one of these two ways that you could be really good hot or really good cold. See, here, here's the thing. Laodicea, which was in the middle, actually had problems with its water supply. And it had to bring in water six miles from the south, from Colossae, by aqueduct. And by the time the water got there, it had become lukewarm. It was tepid. It was unclean. It was undrinkable. The kind that if you drank that water, you would spit it out or vomit it out of your mouth. Exactly as we read about in Revelation. He's writing to a place that has water like this and talking to them about being lukewarm and spitting it them out. What is he doing? He's making a reference to them that they understand. See, this lukewarm water had lost what made it drinkable along the journey. The passage is not calling hot water good and cold water bad. It was comparing two different types of water that were good and healthy to the water which had lost its good qualities. What he's saying here is that the church in Laodicea was like that water that, that had, had come down six miles through the aqueduct. They were like that. They started off fresh and clean and cold and 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 pure and uh refreshing right they they started off with life in them but somewhere along the journey they lost that they lost the qualities that made them so refreshing and so good and so full of life that word to describe that state is apathy Apathy is a state of mind where a person simply does not care anymore. They're going through the motions. Their heart just isn't in it anymore. The water's there, but there's there's no life in the, in it. The, their state is that of surrender to the status quo. See, it, apathy feels like being too tired to fight anymore, but it's actually worse. It's deciding not to fight anymore. And when we have this attitude, we completely stop God's power in our lives. I mean, how can God use a person who will not move, will not speak, will not act? How can God bless a person who won't even acknowledge it because they don't care anymore? If this is where you are, what you really need right now is healing. Because this apathy, this surrender, this state of mind, 
is going to stop God from moving in your life completely. So those are the insulators. Those are the things that stop God's power. What about the resistors? What, what about the things that they don't stop God, but they really hinder him? I'm going to give you three. And again, these are all inward resistors. So these deal with our own personal relationship with ourself, our internal thoughts and feelings and emotions. And here's the first one. Shame. Shame. Feeling shame, by the way, is not the same as feeling guilt. And I want to explain the difference. Shame and guilt are very different things that feel really similar. Guilt is actually based on truth. God created you to be in a relationship with him. Your sins have violated that relationship. Guilt is an acknowledgement of that. Guilt is a recognition that what we did was wrong. But shame is based on a belief that who we are is wrong. Guilt is based on the truth. What we did was wrong. Shame is based on a lie. Who we are is wrong. That is a lie. God did not make any mistakes when he made you. He did not put you in the wrong body. He did not give you the wrong gender. He did not make you the wrong height or the wrong weight or the wrong temperament. He did not forget to give you some special talent. You were made exactly as you are to be exactly who you are by a God who loves you and is proud of his creation. Psalm 139.14 says, I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. As you carry shame in your life, you stop yourself from walking free. And as long as you do that, the result is that the power of God will always be less in your life than it could be. Because as long as we believe that who we are is wrong, we will never be able to enter truly into a relationship of trust with the God who made us who we are in the first place. Does that make sense? Does that, do you understand that you can't be in a great relationship with someone who made you who you are if what you believe is that they made you wrong? Shame is a lie. You were made exactly as you are supposed to be. You were born exactly as you are supposed to be. He did not make a mistake. And he's proud of his creation. He loves you. But shame will stop you from walking in freedom. The next one is self-talk. right? Self-talk, the way that we talk to ourselves. Proverbs 18, 21 it says, death and life in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, all creation came into being when God spoke. The question I have for you is, what are you speaking into creation over your life? See, when you speak to yourself, it's powerful. Joyce Meyer, author of Battlefield of the Mind, is quoted as saying, we believe more of what we hear ourselves say than anything else. And it's true. That means that if someone compliments you and you put yourself down, you're going to believe that put down more. 
It works the other way too, though. If you've been criticized your whole life, you can begin speaking life into yourself. You can begin speaking life over yourself. You can begin speaking life into your life and you will believe those words more than what you believe someone else say. But you're responsible for your words. You choose your words. Matthew 12, 36 to 37 says, I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Guard your words because you're going to have to answer for them someday. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. And the last one we're going to talk about on this episode is a broken self-image. Now, I have I have struggled with, with a lot of this stuff. I've, I've struggled with apathy and surrender. I've been there. And the fact is that I dealt with shame and negative self-talk, and a lot of it came from a broken self-image. These things can lead from one to the other. And so I, I say this as someone who spent a lot of time struggling with this. What, what do I mean by broken self-image? Well, here, here's what I mean. Imagine that you're looking at yourself in a mirror, but imagine that that mirror has been broken. What you see, if you've ever seen, if you've ever looked into a mirror that had a, a crack in it or um, that was warped, right? If you've ever gone to it, maybe a carnival and you've seen mirrors that were, were shaped weird, they were bent weird, right? What you're seeing, it's not a true reflection, right? It's, it's an image that's distorted by the cracks and the warps in the mirror. When we are hurt, when we're disappointed, when we're... Um, beaten down by life and broken by circumstances, it can break our mirror, right? It changes the way that we see ourselves. And so a, a broken self-image is where we look at ourselves through the cracks of our past hurts and disappointments. But we believe that what we're seeing is actually reality. This is why so many people are so confused about who they are. They've got cracks. They've been broken. They've been hurt. Their self-reflection is shattered, but they are still believing that what they're seeing is reality. They judge themselves by those cracks. Have you ever wondered who you really are? Could this be why? See, as long as you look at yourself through your cracks, you'll always be held back. And God's power will flow not as freely as it could in your life because we won't be able to accept the things that God actually says about us because our mirror is broken. It's very difficult to accept the truth of who God says we are. And if we don't believe who God says we are, then we don't believe that we can do what he says we can do. Those cracks in your mirror it, it, it's not your fault that they are there. It happens. That's part of life. And I'm not saying that God can't flow in your life as long as there's cracks in the mirror. We've all been cracked. We've all been broken. We've all been hurt. We've all been damaged. We've all been wounded. I'm not saying that you have to suddenly not have those scars. What I'm saying is, is that we need the realization 
that the image in that mirror is not true. That even though it might feel true, it might feel real. Truth and feelings don't don't always agree. Sometimes our feelings betray us. Sometimes our feelings are lies. Sometimes our feelings are just wrong. And even though it might feel like it's true, what you're seeing is a distorted, broken image. Again, like looking in that mirror, you know if you look into a good mirror, you'll see yourself. And then you look into a broken mirror and the image is distorted. And so we have to be aware that the image that we are seeing ourselves through a lot of times is distorted and broken. And so what I would say is this, is put on a new life and look at yourself through that new lens. Colossians 3, 9 to 10 says, don't lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices. You stripped off your old self with its evil practices. And then it says, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. In other words, you get a new mirror. Now, yeah, you've still got cracks. You still have that old mirror. It's very easy to, to look back again and see the cracks and see the wounds and see the scars and see where we've been hurt. But you get a new mirror. And that, that mirror, as you spend more time around God, as you spend more time with him, he makes you more into the image of his son. And so who you're seeing in the mirror slowly fades and you're no longer the person in the mirror you're seeing, but you're beginning to see him more and more. So the question is this, do you have any of these things in your life? Are you dealing with pride? You feel like maybe you don't need God or you know better what sin is that, and what it isn't, then what you need to do is surrender your pride to him. Are you dealing with apathy or surrender? You become stagnant over a journey and it's been hard. Maybe you've been, maybe you've just been beaten down by life and it's caused you to lose your passion, to lose your purpose. And so you you become lukewarm. The the life that was once in you just isn't there anymore. You're no longer healthy. You're, you stopped fighting. You gave up hope. Now you're just going through the motions. Then what you want is for God to breathe new life into you again. And that's what you need to be praying for. Or are you dealing with shame? Maybe believing that something is fundamentally wrong with who you are. You believe God made a mistake in how he made you. Then what you need is God's help to accept yourself for who you are. Maybe you're dealing with negative self-talk and your own words cut you down. You speak poison over your life and then what you need is God's help to change how you speak. Or maybe you're dealing with a broken self-image and you see yourself through the brokenness of your past, but you believe it's real. Then what you need is to trade that broken mirror for a new one that lets you see yourself through God's eyes. Allow God to give you a new mirror. I would encourage you to take some time. If this is, if anything on that list reflects something that's in your life, I would, I would encourage you to take some time and pray. Either to surrender your pride or to ask God to just breathe fresh life into you again, to, to rekindle the fire that you once had in you. 
Maybe you, you need to ask God to help you just accept you yourself for who you are or to change the way you talk about yourself or to, to change the way that you see yourself because what you're seeing is, is, is this distorted image. Whatever it is, take some time to pray because here's what I know about our God. I know that if there are things in our life that stop the power of God from flowing, if we'll surrender those things to him, he'll help get rid of them. He'll help to make us ready for that power to flow in our lives again. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.